Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. can do many things, marketing and leadership without authenticity, or you can be really authentic and true to yourself. And similarly, in both fields, you can have good skills and poor skills. And so having good skills and being authentic, like that really moves everything forward so much more quickly, so much more directly, so much, so much more high impact on the people in the world around. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. If you haven't yet listened to my recent conversations with Jeff Harry of Rediscover Your Play and with Graham Miller, the author of The Human Factor, then do go check them out. They're well worth listening to. But of course, only after you've listened to today's conversation where my guest is Iggy Perillo from WSL Leadership. Iggy cultivates leadership masterminds for professionals and athletes who are seeking excellence in their work, sport and in life. She created WSL Leadership to develop leaders and teams who make the world a better place through enhanced connection, communication and trust. Iggy works with individuals, with teams and with organisations around the world, helping them to overcome challenges and function like champions. In our discussion today, Iggy talked to me about how everyone is a leader in their own way. We discussed how to build relationships and she shared how to validate other people's input even when you don't necessarily agree with them. And we talked about the power of masterminds. Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Iggy Perillo. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome today to the InnovaBuzz podcast all the way from Portland, Oregon in the USA, Iggy Perillo, who's a leadership educator, and she inspires rising leaders to develop their skills, deepen their practice as leaders, so they can change the world. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Iggy. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. I'm so excited to be here, Jürgen. Thanks for having me. So I'm really Looking forward to having a conversation about how leaders can create communities of support and how they can change the world, as you say. And, um, you know, one of the things you say is you find so many leaders feel isolated or alone because they're kind of at the top of the pinnacle if if you plot out an org chart, for example, and they could benefit by continuing to grow with a supportive community. So I'm really looking forward to exploring all those things. Before we start talking about things leadership, um, I noticed you've got on, is it Instagram, you've got all these awkward fan photos. What are, what are they about? <laughs> oh, you found those. Great. Yeah. I posted them. It's my own fault. Yeah. I'm so what are they about? And a roller derby. And so a lot of those folks are people I know through the roller derby community and ask them to do ridiculous things. Some I'm holding up. Sometimes they hold me up. Uh, and there are other people that I'm actually just a fan of. And so I feel like any fan selfie, the angles are always awkward. You're just holding your phone. So I just embrace the awkward fan photos <laughs> and posted them out there. So they're not all from Miller Derby. I think I have um, another poet in there and just other folks I've met throughout the world, you know, that you happen to run into. You got to mm. memory, you know, build a memory for the moment and take an awkward photo. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Yeah. And it's, uh, Probably memorable for the people that are being photographed with too. <laughs> they embrace yeah. that. 
Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. Now, what impact are you making in the world? I think I'm helping people lead better and better leaders make the world a better place around them. So I think my impact is impacted. <laughs> my impact is like expanded through helping leaders lead better. Yeah, I love love the idea of expanding your impact by enabling other people to embrace their leadership or whatever it might be, depending on which game you're in. Now, what does leadership mean to you? I think to me, leadership is just using your power to make an impact on the world. And so I think people are leaders in their lives. They're leaders in their work environment. And I think people are leaders in their sport. I work with athletes sometimes. But leadership is just really about being intentional about your impact. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting what you said there. And how does that play out? Like, at first, I think, you know, one of the things that we work on a lot in many of the marketing things we do is being really aware of who you are as a person and who we are as a business. How does that play into the leadership aspect? I think you can do many things, marketing and leadership, without authenticity, or you can be really authentic and true to yourself. And similarly, in both fields, you can have good skills and poor skills. And so having good skills and being authentic, I think that really moves everything forward so much more quickly, so much more directly, so much, so much more high impact on the people in the world around you. Hmm. So how do, how do you see authenticity playing out in, in leadership? I think there's a lot of people out there that think they have to lead in a certain way. They have to be like the drill sergeant yelling and at the front of the line, everyone just looks at the back of their head or just hears them yell at them. And that's not a great leader. And mm. so that model <laughs> inherently is flawed. And it doesn't feel authentic to many people. But people feel like, well, I can't show weakness. I can't crumble. I can't cry. I can't have an emotion. Like these really kind of negative aspect of what a leader could be are not really a great leader. So finding authentic leadership means, I think, you have to figure out what's true to yourself, but also be effective and be able to be a good communicator. <laughs> Match that. I can't say that word. <laughs> and be able to be... like Authenticity means making good choices that matter for yourself, but also matter for the people around. Hmm. So... It's interesting. You mentioned that um, you know you don't always have to know it all, or you don't always have to be right. And um, and it's what um, the drill sergeant types might consider as a display of weakness could actually be strength. How do you see that vulnerability um, being a strength in in leadership? And and how do you like I've I've seen that actually taken to an extreme where it's not authentic anymore. So how do you how do you keep that authenticity in your own leadership style, regardless of whether you're going into this environment or into this um, being of vulnerability or or you know there will be times I guess where you have to play drill sergeant. Well, yeah, there's times you need to get the job done, and I think doing that well it matters. And I think vulnerability is a great point and great question that you bring up. Vulnerability ultimately builds connection and trust. And trust just helps your team flow, work together better, get things done. There you go. Head for the championship. You're on your way. If you have a really high degree of trust within your team. But I think you mentioned this sort of inauthenticity. Like when people put a show on and they're like, oh, I'm everything's terrible, but I've overcome these amazing hard things. Like, yeah, people have hard stories and people have overcome things, but you can kind of feel like this sense of like, wait, you're just selling me a story right now. Hmm. Like what's really real underneath this? And I don't, it's, I think it's tricky to figure out where this starts to build trust. And you're like, oh, I connect with this person. I, they're a real, they have emotions. And then other times you're like, wait, this story is just a story to tell me a story to build this sense of fake connection. I think people sniff that out pretty quick. And then it's definitely not trust building. Yeah. Like, yeah. okay, wait, what's real? What's authentic with this person? So I think being inauthentic about vulnerability is one of those quick things people feel more emotionally. And that's trust destroying. Yeah, yeah. And um I heard somebody once say that, you know, trust is 
a little bit like a bank, but you have to kind of put in ten times ten times the value before you can make a withdrawal. Well, and I think once you make a withdrawal, it can all go quick, and you start yeah, at yeah. zero really fast. Hmm. Okay. Um. In in terms of that vulnerability and the other extreme of like the drill sergeant do it my way or the highway um how do you see the like let, let me rephrase that in the corporate world the, the traditional model has always been kind of um that hierarchical leadership structure and probably not showing that vulnerability and probably a distance between the leader and and their team members or their subordinates, if you like, their followers. Um, the the I, I think the better model, and you're talking about relationships here, and of course the vulnerability complained to that. How do you see that changing, or you know, how how are we overcoming the resistance to change, particularly in the corporate world, to that kind of hierarchical old style model? Yeah, there's this great stereo, right? It's stereotype. It's like the pyramid. You only have one person mm. at the top and like a million people at the bottom. And I think people realize that this power structure, when you think of it as a power stru structure, it, it doesn't really feed the people at the bottom very well in terms of their sense of self and their self of sense of commitment to the organization and the mission that you're trying to accomplish. So I see things changing in terms of power sharing broadly as a term. But in specific, that means the people at the top can't be so isolated they don't know what's happening with the rest of the organization. They're just like out there conjuring vision or conjuring direction kind of out of nowhere without this connection throughout this, like throughout the organization, throughout the team, without hearing what's going on, you know, at that bottom mass layer or all the layers in between. I think people are end up being terrible leaders <laughs> and sometimes they stay in power anyways. And sometimes they have a terrible time and things go badly for them. But usually things have gone really badly for the entire organization first. And so then they catch a clue that they're like, wait, something's not right here. But I think what I've seen changing is this level of communication and more vertical. You know, if you have that sort of hierarchical pyramid style leadership, I see a lot more communication happening with all the, with all the levels inside and all the people in all those levels. They have something to contribute and they are actually people and they're actually self-actualized people. So having leadership recognize that makes teams stronger, makes organizations stronger. Hmm. Well, one of the models I've seen, and I've actually participated in this in, in a past life, that kind of works well and it challenges people to step up as leaders and, and sort of breaks down that hierarchical thing is, is the cross-functional teams. So where you've traditionally got the um, the uh, research department, the production department, the manufacturing department, the um, marketing department, the sales department, the human resources department, and so on, um, the the model, the cross-functional model says that, hey, here's, here's a customer, here's the problem they have, this is the solution that we need to deliver to them, and here's the expertise that needs to be involved so that expertise could come from any one of those funnels and so and and now here's one person who is going to lead this team so it, that person may come from one of those funnels it may not be uh, it may not even I, i've seen it work where the person was actually a lower level in the hierarchical structure of the business than some of the people on the team and yet they were the leader and um so how do you how do you see that kind of model working, and is that a way to to break the the traditional kind of thing that that um, perhaps leads to this drill sergeant model? Oh, I think that's excellent. I love cross functional teams, and they are so much more effective in so many ways because you get so many different perspectives within them. And there's this you mentioned this like this unique opportunity for someone who's not normally in a leadership role to take a on that leadership role, at least for this project or for this group or for this time, you know, sometimes they're limited duration or limited scope, but those people then get this hugely valuable experience about, you know, experience as a leader, how to communicate, how to 
act, how to motivate, how to keep their group focused, moving in the right direction. So I think cross-functional teams are amazing. And that really destroys that hierarchy. And you don't go back the same way. So if that team is just for like a project, you know, like we have this project, we got it out there, we're done, yay. This team just disbands and heads their separate ways. But they never look at those different people the same way again. They Mm. knew that they had that team experience together. And that's so much more trust and connection and build so much stronger ties within the organization across those, yeah, different departments, different funnels, different different silos, as we'd say. So that really helps your organization be stronger internally. Yeah, and it um, it comes back to what you were saying earlier about the relationships, because once you've built those relationships, they they don't get disbanded when the team gets disbanded, so they're still there, so that um, people people do work differently together after that. Absolutely. So, um, if something were to come up, let's let's take a team like that for example. So if something were to come up and the leader's got to take a stand um, because they have this higher higher vision of what's going on, and and there's a couple of people perhaps that have a different approach, and the leader says, "Okay, it's my responsibility. I'm going to take a stand. We're going to go this way." How can they do something like that and still maintain the relationships? Right. People worry about these relationships. And I think that's a major thing that holds people back from stepping into leadership roles at all, like globally, if they have the choice, because they worry they're going to damage those relationships. I think in that in that situation you mentioned specifically, it's really important to communicate clearly. And so to explain why this matters, who it's going to impact, how it's going to impact us, and then take some time to hear back from the people, hear back from the teammates. What did they miss, maybe? What are they overlooking in making this decision? Making everyone sure everyone feels heard, if possible. You know, if it's a smaller team, a smaller unit you're working with. And once they're heard, making sure everyone knows, like, great, I heard you. Your ideas are valid. And I'm still not doing what you want. We're going to go this way. And it takes a minute to for people to recognize that they've been heard. Hmm. But they're still not the ones who get to drive the show. And people have different degrees of being able to accept that. And building those relationships with your teammates really helps that go more smoothly. And to let people know, today I I heard you, and we're not doing it your way, we're doing it my way. Here are the reasons. These are the priorities I have. These are the reasons my reasons are important. You know, whatever it is. Taking that time to explain that to those people and making sure their concerns feel heard, listened to, valued, will really make that go a lot more smoothly over time. And they might still be upset. They might still not like it. They still need to be on board. And then they, the follower, the person in the followership role has a decision to make. Are you on board? Or are you not really a part of this team anymore? I think it can be pretty black and white at some points. Hmm. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you because often in that situation, even though the leader might have done all those things that you said and, and, Perhaps the relationship is still okay, uh, but the person says, "I can't agree with this this course of action. I'm, I'm really, I'm strongly kind of in the other camp, and and so I can't. Whilst the team is going to go ahead with that action, I'm can't support it. So at that point, you know, what does the leader do? Yeah, I mean, I mean, usually, usually people don't say that, right? They they just say, "Okay, we'll we'll do it your way," but then they kind of whether it's by their actions or just by their demeanor in the team or by the body language in meetings or something, they kind of indicate to everybody around that they're not in agreement. Oh, yeah. This sort of a toxic, pouty, grumpy person, the sort (laughs) sitting in the side in the corner, just like, oh, this is terrible, grumbling the whole time. Yeah, that's not a great teammate. Hmm. At the flip side, you want teammates who are going to bring up concerns that are legitimate, valid, and maybe challenge the status quo, maybe challenge the direction. So it's this fine balance between hearing hearing these voices, hearing these uh, the people, the com- I, want, I don't want to say complainers, because hmm. I think they're raising often really valid concerns, but they need to feel heard. And they, it might not be their day. If you have a people on your team that can't follow well, can't follow the leader, can't follow this direction, they're really not a member of your team. Like, it's just pretty obvious that they're, if they're not on board with, if they're on the train, they're left at the station. Hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, you you do a lot of work with sporting teams. You mentioned that earlier, and um, it's fascinating that I mean, if you take that analogy into the sporting field, and there's a team, um, if somebody has uh, is not performing well, they're dropped out of the team, and then somebody else is brought in who might be you know doing really well in training or performing well in the the lower teams or whatever it is, uh, but there's kind of that exchange and the whole thing is here's the team strategy the the coach sets the strategy for the team and everybody's got their role to play and if they play the role uh, they're on board kind of thing if they don't play the role now usually in those sporting teams everybody's motivated to participate it's just a case of whether somebody's out of form lacks confidence whatever it might be Uh, but they do get dropped now in in um, corporate teams that's not the case is it not always. I think there's ways to give people roles or spaces where they can use their strengths and maybe use that voice, but also not be a drag on the team in the team direction. Hmm. And I think that's can be that can be a really important reason to get to know your teammates really well and build those relationships. If you're trying to ask people to do something they just can't do, if they don't have the skills, maybe they don't have the wherewithal, maybe they don't have the desire. Like those are things you could talk about, work with or advocate for, but not every team is, I would say not every team, not every work team is going to be able to have the space and time to give people the professional development they might need to perform at that next level. And that's organizationally a tough spot. People maybe want to do more, they want to be a contributor, or you want them to be on your team, but they're just not ready yet. I think finding a space where they can contribute, finding the area where they can excel is really important. Hmm. Yeah, and that's uh, it's a, an interesting concept is kind of putting them into another role that you know, they can excel and so on. And you mentioned the balance between because a leader doesn't want people around him to just say yes, right? A leader wants oh, yeah, people to challenge and and come to better outcomes. But after that, after a challenge is okay, we're still going to do it my way. Um, everybody needs to be on board, so. One of the things um, I touched on earlier in the introduction was the, the loneliness of the leader. And you're doing quite a bit of work in putting together masterminds to kind of help people meet other leaders, meet peers and exchange ideas that, um, you know, here's what's happening to me, here's what I'm struggling with, um, anybody got any advice and, and that sharing. Um, what's so great about those masterminds and, and why have you put them together? I think masterminds are the best way for people to learn and grow because they can control the whole agenda for themselves. And so it's super tailored, super specific, super personal, and so effective to get that imp- that input from so a group of other people that are like minds, they're on the same page, they're invested in you. So I think masterminds just help people grow and learn so much more quickly than a book or maybe uh, like a webinar or other type of things because it's so hyper personal. Hmm. So how do you how do you build those? How do you pull together the right people? How do you structure and build an environment that's safe for people to actually share and go on there? Like I you know I could imagine if I've got a real issue and it, it's kind of you know I'm I. I might deep down think, well, I'm contributing to this, so if I talk to somebody else about it, they might actually say, you're, you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> so how how do you set it up, get the right people in there and build a safe environment so that somebody like me with that fear can come in there and feel safe in sharing the issues that I'm having? I think that's a great question. I think that's what holds people back. And people get to choose how much to share, right? Like it's not a true confession group hmm. unless you want it to be. And that's up to you. But I think there's a lot of work done. For me, there's a lot of work done on the front end to find the right people to be in that group. And they might be part of a sub community or they might be all there for the same purpose. So I do some for like specialized communities or just leadership focus. You know, people are all invested in leadership and leadership development. So you know everyone in there is looking for the same type of thing. But it's really specific to each person. You know, one person might be like, oh, I'm struggling with my direct report. And, uh, and someone else might be like, oh, I'm really struggling with this whole other department in my organization, whatever it is. Or I'm struggling with the strategic vision, something like that. And some, and it's really personal for people. So I find the right people 
and it takes a while. I talk to each person before they get um, added to a mastermind group. The group's small. There's only four or five people. I spend time at the beginning helping them build connections, get to know each other. And it really relies on them to be in the right space. And so that's why that kind of front-end interviewing really helps everything out. But once I get the right people in the right space, I'm there to facilitate. And I keep things moving forward, keep things equitable. And I think people are really there. Once they know they're there to to learn for themselves, but also help others, people are so forthcoming with so much help. I've never been in a group where someone's like, you're doing it wrong. That's the stupidest thing <laughs> yeah. I've ever heard. That just doesn't happen <laughs> because you have the right people there and their mindset is all around, how can I help? I've heard people give like different advice and someone's like, I'm not going to take that. If I, uh, that doesn't sound right to me. Whatever. That's great. People are their own best filters about the information they have coming in. But I think setting up that group, getting people with the right mindset, the right level of commitment, the right sort of goals and outcomes, and knowing that they're a taker and a giver both within that environment, and then facilitating it so everyone has that space, everyone has that moment to be sort of on the hot seat or on the spotlight a little bit. They know what's happening, they know what's coming, and they really build connections really quickly. I think I've found it just be really amazing. And I don't, I think people that hesitate, they want to hold back. Not everyone has to be the first one to step up. I've noticed folks that are a little more shy or maybe introverted. They sort of maybe go second or like, they don't jump in to go first, but they see what's happening. They watch, they watch, and it comes to their term. And they might be like, okay, at first I'm going to kind of go a little bit deeper, but not too much. But then by the time we meet three or four times, they're like, let me tell you everything. I'm just ready to dive in. Because they know those people, like they've built those relationships. It just takes time. Mm. And I mm. think building those relationships and that psychological safe within the group really helps. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's a really great way to do it. And so there, there's small groups of four to five people. So do you have that's direct involvement in the mastermind? Yeah, everyone's really involved. Everyone has time to be a speaker, a listener, offer, give advice, take advice. It's but do you, very do you get directly involved in it? Oh, I facilitate. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm there also. I mean, I offer my two cents. Hmm. I think, but it's not about me giving yeah, training. Yeah. Like I do training separately. And so I think people need to get their mind around what a mastermind is. But I participate. But I'm just an equal group member. So I don't many, take the hot yeah. seat to offer my challenges. <laughs> I'm there to yeah. help them get their needs met. Yeah, yeah. You're the you're the person that's constructed the environment. And yeah. And how many of those groups do you facilitate? The short answer is as many as I can. Uh the reality answer is I start them quarterly. And I might start two or three each quarter. Mm-hmm. Mm, fascinating. And do you cross fertilize? those groups in some way? Do you have sort of a bring them together, bring a larger group together at all? No, the power is a small group. Hmm. And it's really about that tight-knit group and their relationships. Yeah. They get to know each other really well. And how did how did you come onto that model? Hmm. I don't know exactly. <laughs> I've been a member of Masterminds for years and years. And I think I was sort of unconsciously facilitating them in some of the groups I was a part of and just giving everyone that space to offer and connect. And so I think it just organically evolved for me over time as like, oh, wait, this is the thing I can offer other people. And mm. it's not just a lesson. It's not just a checklist or a workshop or something like that. I got really into that, offering that as its own sort of offering. It's own because it's so unique. Yeah. So do you see the idea of, of those small masterminds playing a role in, in different areas, not just the, the leadership role or the leadership oh, yeah. Um, field? Yeah, definitely. I know, I think traditionally they were really focused on entrepreneurship. Mm. So entrepreneurs could share ideas and like really launch things really quickly. And I just happened to focus on leadership a little more because that's where my brain is at, where I'm focused and who I'm connected with out there in the world. But I think there are plenty of ways you can have masterminds that are focused on a topic, a theme, or a, like within an industry, within a specialized group of people. 
just bringing together people that share a specialized role within different organizations can be really beneficial. Hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. All right. Now, um, you also um, have a background in in the sporting field and in kind of the outdoor training field. And I remember participating in a couple of outdoor training events and I thought, these are quite amazing. And yet I think back on some of them and some of them kind of missed missed the connection to reality or I, I don't know if that's the right way to express it, but, you know, the, all the all the energy and enthusiasm and, and even some of the relationship stuff that was built during that outdoor activity didn't get translated across into the real world. So tell us a little bit about your experiences with those and, and how did you manage like when you got people together doing stuff in the outdoors and realizing that, hey, that's not, that coworker isn't such a bad person after all. Um, and, and that whole energy that comes out of that, how did you ensure then that that translates back into their workplace or, or wherever they were coming from to do the exercise? Right. I think you hit the nail on the head. Some are just bad. <laughs> Some are just like, we would played and then we went back to work and whatever. What was that? I, th I think it can be done well and poorly, but I think you really speak to the actual thing that makes it done well is people need to understand what they're learning. They need to be able to quantify that or qualify that, whatever it is. They need to be able to understand that as a thing, and then they need to be able to transfer that back to work, back to wherever they're at, back to their team. And so without that sense of reflection and transference, you're not going to have a great time. And so we do a lot of fun things. We can play a lot of games. We can do crazy stuff. But without reflection and transference, it's going to be a one-time thing, a one-day thing. So I spent a lot of time on reflection and reflected on like how, what the experience was like for them as, as an individual and as a person, but also reflecting on and having the people articulate what happened with my team here? What happened with this group of people? How do I see them differently? How do I see this group differently? How do I see our, fun our functioning differently? How do I see our functioning at all? You know, people don't always think about it. And so without, the, I spent a lot of time on reflection and how we're going to relate this to back at, at work, back at, with the team, you know, in, in the city, <laughs> in civilization. And I have people make specific plans and they can plan how they're going to act differently, how their team is going to function differently, how they want their culture to feel differently. And all these things are really important for the people to articulate in the moment and then i have them make plans for how they're going to follow up carry on check in whatever they're going to do moving forward it's optimal for me if i'm like great i met with you here i'm going to be with you next month next week next year whatever it is you know some follow-up and connection but i think fundamentally it's on those team members to be invested enough in whatever growth whatever change is happening to follow up for themselves and with themselves sort of reflectively and are they actually going to do that thing are they really going to you know respond differently when this challenge happens are they really going to communicate better are they really going to be aware when this happens next time maybe yes maybe no but without building that sense of relationship and community it's really going to fall flat and i don't think every sort of team building experience is this miracle change and everything's totally different right but they need to be able to know that they can trust and connect with these people. And over time, they can see each other and support each other's growth and development. Hmm. Yeah, and the, and the change, I mean, particularly where um, there are people in... I mean, I had one experience where it was bringing together people from five different or six different countries and different cultures and different languages, and it was a team that uh, we'd been running remotely for a little time and it was essentially five or six different teams and so bringing together and we had this outdoor activity and then we brought it back to an indoor thing and we i remember this one occasion of putting post-it notes all around the room and i had a guy facilitating it i was the leader of the the team and when the japanese participants who normally would not say anything other than yes and yes didn't necessarily mean yes we're going to do it or yes we agreed it just meant yes i heard you um 
when they got up and started putting post-it notes up about things that um, all of us could do better, things that they would change, things that they would like to see others change. And I thought, wow, that's that was a, a moment that actually moved me because I thought this is a breakthrough and and we we're able to build on that breakthrough. But after that, it was still, it was still like it wasn't a, as if a switch had been flicked and everything was hunky-dory after that. It was still, there was still a lot of work to be done later on in in our workplaces. I think you speak to this really interesting point about how to reach people and get them to communicate that in a way that's comfortable for them. Hmm. Like your folks may not have felt comfortable speaking out. Yeah. A lot of people don't want to stand on stage and give a speech, right? Like that's people are really afraid of that in many places. But letting them write a note, creating a space where they can safely get their voice recognized, even if it's writing or posting or whatever it is. And then those voices were heard and valued. That just sounds really powerful to me. Hmm. So how, how do you do that validation and, you know, letting somebody know that their voice is valued? How do you do that really well so that you can build that connection and relationships and at the same time not actually have to agree with them? So say, you know, that that's a great point. I don't agree with it, but it's a great point. How do you give the validation and at the same time um, kind of park the idea, if you like. I teach a whole workshop on validation. <laughs> it's a skill. It's just flat out a skill. And I think it's it's interesting that you brought up different cultures. I think it looks different in different places with different people. But I think it is a skill people can learn. And this is like where we get to the the whole realm of emotionally intelligent leadership. And to be emotionally intelligent, you have to recognize the emotions in others and in yourself. And figure out how to relate and connect with them. And right, you might not agree at all. You might be like, that's a terrible idea. But I need to make sure you feel heard. Hmm. And fundamentally through this whole workshop, I don't want to get into a ton. But there are different levels of ways to, val to validate someone. And some of them are more are easier for people to take in than others. So you need a wide range of, a wide range of skills. Like if you know six different ways to validate someone, one of those hopefully will work. <laughs> Yeah. And if someone, you might, you probably, your go-to, you're like, I hear you, might be your validation tool. You're like, I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. And someone else is just like, oh, they're just like a parrot. They always just say that. Mm. That's not validating to me at all. So you need to try something else. You need to be able to validate in a way that feels meaningful and, and works for them fundamentally. So it's a mix mm. of both. Matching. Matching your skills with what they need. Yeah. So yeah. a great leader has many skills. Yeah, so you, you, it requires that you're actually observing what, how people are reacting to your communication and also what their needs are in terms of attention. Absolutely. Hmm. All right, fabulous, Siggy. This is um, fascinating. I could go on talking leadership and all these ideas around validation and communication. I mean, we haven't really touched on communication other than to bring it up as a key skill yet. I could talk about that for ages yeah. as well. Maybe we'll have <laughs> to have a follow-up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but just watching the time, I think it's a good point to move on to the buzz now, which is our innovation round. It's a set of five scripted questions that it's a, the innovation round designed to help our audience who are primarily innovators and leaders in their field with some tips from your experience. So I've got five questions and hopefully you'll inspire the audience to go and do something awesome today as a result. All set? I'm ready. Let's go. So what's the number one thing you think anyone needs to do to be more innovative? They need to be super willing and committed to go someplace and do something without a role model. I think role models sometimes hold people back and create a container people don't need. And to truly innovate, you need to be able to go without a role model. Hmm. That's fascinating. Well, talk to us a little bit more about that. Well, I think people, they see people that are innovative or creative or doing amazing things, and they're like, oh, I want to be like them. So they try to do what they did, and it becomes inauthentic really hmm. quickly. And so to really be innovative you might not have a role model. And if you're not committed, if you only can go a place where there is a role model, you're only ever following a path that's made by someone else. So you need to be able to forge your own path. And that means there might not be a role model or a guardrail 
or erode at all. Hmm. So yeah, so essentially it's it's kind of taking well the role model might be um giving you some information but then going well beyond that. Absolutely. And it's also And you can learn from other people for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like people are great resources. But if you're trying to do exactly what someone else did hmm. or you're like, I'm gonna follow in their footsteps exactly, eh, it's not gonna go well. Yeah. For innovation. Yeah. And yes, the second, second, most people forget the second who came second, right? <laughs> it's in the sport, right. in the no. sport. Nobody yeah. knows the silver medalists and uh, it's a bit like that in, in innovation. All right, now what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? I've found groups of like-minded people that support and challenge me and just offer perspective in that sense of emotional safety. So people can be like, that's working, that's not working. Or think, what do you think of this? Or try this. So I just found those groups of friends or people, masterminds, that really push and challenge me in great ways. Mm. And that just helped me grow and learn and try new things. They just offer perspective I might never have had. And and so that's what prompted you in some ways to set up your own masterminds because you saw the value. Okay, now maybe this is the answer to the next question, but um, we'll see. What What's the favorite resource that you use most often? Yeah, it's totally masterminds. Yeah. You're right. That, I mean, it's <laughs> such a crazy resource, and it's the people and the form and the commitment and the accountability all in one. It, I just love it. Hmm. And you've talked earlier about how they are done well, so it's really important to match the right people. And so if... if people are looking for a mastermind to join then making sure that they're a good match as well and they're a contributor and um, so if you're setting something up being really careful about who you select absolutely hmm. all right now what's the best way to keep a client on track i'm all about my calendar <laughs> and putting everything on my calendar hmm. it seems like a really simple tool but i use it for everything if I have a client or someone I'm working with that I know I need to follow up with, or they told me they're going to do something by a certain day, or they're working on something, it all just goes on my calendar. It's kind of very simple, but I really, uh, it helps me a ton to have a day time moment where I'm like, oh, I'm going to follow up. I'm going to do this thing here. I'm going to make sure you're doing your things on a schedule too. So I encourage my clients and also uh, when I work with them to set their own calendar their own schedule, their own, basically their own flow for things. So I know when they're going to do stuff. We share a calendar, hmm. like mentally, if not, you know, specific, specifically. But I know when they want to get stuff done so I can know when to, when I need to chime in and be like, how's it going? Yeah. Yeah, it's fabulous. Um, I think a calendar is a totally underrated tool because um, to me, yeah, most people have some form of calendar and they'll write down appointments or if they're having a lunch or a dinner or whatever it might be. And then you find that, hey, can, can we have a meeting at that time? The person will say, no, I've got another appointment on my calendar. And so it's a, it's a fabulous tool for actually saying no to the things that are maybe less important. Or, you know, somebody might come back and say, well, I'll get back to you because I'll have to move another appointment. So, the, the, what's in the calendar is kind of the thing that governs them and and so we should actually use the calendar to put other stuff in there that's really important oh yeah schedule yourself for a work time hmm. do you need a work block to get this project done put it on your calendar i put it on my calendar <laughs> yeah yeah do i need a, a habitual thing i need to do every day great i'll put it on my calendar hmm. even if it's like a little tiny like 50 minute reminder is attached to a time a day everything i find i get a lot more done yeah all right that's wonderful yeah and it's um, certainly something that i i've done I, i'm not doing it at the moment but i should probably get back to it is put time blocks in for because i do do time blocking for my work so i should actually put the time blocks in the calendar yeah and lock them in it protects them i think from other meetings mm. or you know other people scheduling things in or whatever hmm. all right and finally what's the number one thing anyone could do to differentiate themselves I think people need to really know 
who and how how they speak, what their authentic voice is. That's not their brand voice or their mm. marketing voice or their maybe their like leadership voice if they feel like they need a special one for that. But you are really differentiated by who you are as an individual, what's specific and unique to you. So whatever I know there's lots of methods to find your authentic voice. And whatever that works for you, whatever pathway that is, once you know your authentic voice, then you're going to stand out in every crowd. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really important message. And also it comes back to what you were saying earlier in, in the answering, in answering question one, in terms of the role models. And people often, um, not just when they want to do something that may be innovative and say, oh, that's a great idea, I'll just follow what that person's doing. But um, there's so many people, and Gary Vaynerchuk's a classic one, where people say, oh, well, you know, he's, he's killing it on social media, for example, so I'll just do what he's doing. <laughs> and they forget, first of all, you know, he's a unique character, he's got a unique personality, and your personality is probably different, almost certainly. And secondly, he's got a team of people behind him that so he just fronts up and records records videos, for example. But there's a lot of work that goes on that isn't Gary, that it's his team. And so unless you've got that team, you can't do the same thing. So people sort of forget that I'll just be like him, <laughs> whereas they're probably a lot more effective if they say, this is me and I'm going to be like me. <laughs> and they're going to have awkward fan photos. <laughs> exactly, <need>. yeah. <laughs> And and also it's a lot less um, takes a lot less energy. Oh yeah, I think it's a lot less cognitive dissonance when you try to act like someone else. Your brain kind of knows that that's not you, and so you have this dissonance within your mind, and it comes off as weird or mm. things don't resonate with others because yeah. they're not resonating with you as a person. Yeah, that's right. And people sense that that's not authentic, right? Mm -hmm. mm. Absolutely. All right. Well Thanks for getting us through the buzz round. Now, um, this has been fabulous. Where can people find out more about you, your work, and maybe even reach out and say thanks for what you've shared? Uh, well, I'm obviously on Instagram. We've really promoted that today. <laughs> and I'm on various places at WSL Leadership. My website is wslleadership.com. And people can find me there, my upcoming workshops, masterminds, connect, whatever I have going on is going to be there. All right. And right. Yeah, other social media, you can find me. All right. We'll post the links in the show notes so people can click through. So, and check out your um, mastermind groups and the other workshops that you're running. Thanks. All right. Do you, have, do you have some parting advice you'd like to leave our listener today? I think everyone can be a leader. Hmm. And if you're uncomfortable or unsure, you can build those skills. You can do it. And, and there's so many leadership lessons in everyday life for everybody, isn't there? I mean, I think of um, people, I mean, people in families will often have children. And so as a parent, you're in a leadership role. I mean, you don't have a choice. You're in a leadership role. Whether you do it well or not, it's up to you. But, uh, or if, if you have pets, you're in a leadership role there because you're looking after somebody else. You've got the welfare of somebody else in your hands effectively. So there's so many lessons you can learn there because, uh, you know, I've seen people that think they're not really good leaders, leaders do some amazing things with their kids or, or with their pets, you know, and you say, well, you know, you've obviously got some leadership skills there and what are the lessons in that and how can you take those into other places? Absolutely. There's no one model. Hmm. If you're trying to be a stereotype, it's don't do it. Yeah. But yeah, that's beautiful. People lead in so many different ways just in their life and in themselves as a person. Mm, great. And self-leadership is pretty important too. All right. Finally, Iggy, who else should I get on the show and why? I think you should talk to Jeff Harry. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. I, I, he talks a lot I've had him. Jeff on. I've had I ah! talked to him, I think, in this the one but last episode. Oh, my gosh. I'm out of date. <laughs> well, well, it hasn't been published him. yet. You're forgiven because it hasn't been published yet. As oh, okay. <laughs> Whew, off the hook there. That would have been yeah. embarrassing. Well, great. Everyone should go listen to that episode. Yeah, oh, that was a fun, was great. fun episode. Yeah, he's a bundle of energy and lots of playful stuff going on in that one. 
Oh, well, I'm glad I don't have a great recommendation. That's who I thought of. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll come back to you and maybe we'll, uh, and we can always have Jeff back on in the future yeah, because he's a great guest. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights with us so generously today, Iggy. I've really enjoyed this and appreciated. We've touched on a lot of areas and maybe we need to dig deeper on some of those in the future. So all the best for the future and let's stay in touch. Absolutely. It's been so great talking with you today, Jurgen. I hope you enjoyed that insightful and informative conversation with Iggy and took something away from her episode. I'm inspired by Iggy's way of setting up masterminds to provide a safe environment for people to share and learn from one another. I'd love to know what you took away from Iggy's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post, which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Iggy Perillo. That is I-G-G-Y P-E-R-I L-L-O, all lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Iggy Perillo. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Iggy, as well as links to the WSL Leadership website, to her Books Applied podcast, her social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. Now, if you like this episode, Please don't keep it to yourself. Share it with two other people that it might help. Tag me in on that share and I'll reach out to you with a special surprise. Iggy suggested that we have a conversation with Jeff Harry. Now, Jeff was our guest a couple of episodes ago, but we agreed he would be fabulous to bring back on the show in a future Innova Buzz podcast episode. So, Jeff, let's schedule another time to have you back on the Innova Buzz podcast in a little while, courtesy of Iggy Perillo. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up, including Thomas Lantala of The Crisis Compass and Arjun Sen, author of Customer Karma. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.